Hi, welcome to the podcast. In this session, we will cover toxoplasmosis, maternal and fetal infection. Toxoplasmosis is caused by the intracellular parasite Toxoplasma gondii. T. gondii exists in several forms, a trophozyte, which is the invasive form, and a cyst or an oocyte, which are the latent forms. Human infection is acquired by consumption of cysts in undercooked meat from infected animals or from consumption of insect-contaminated food or contact with oocytes from the feces of infected cats, which are the only definitive hosts. Lastly, contact with infected material or insects in soil can transmit toxoplasmosis to humans. Infection with T. gondi usually is asymptomatic, although after an incubation period of around 5 to 20 days, some nonspecific symptoms may occur. In the immunocompetent adult, the clinical course is benign and typically self-limited. Most often, Toxo presents as asymptomatic cervical lymphadenopathy with symptoms occurring in about 10 to 20% of infected adults. Other symptoms include fever, malaise, night sweats, myalgia, and hepatosplenomegaly. Parasitemia can occur after infection, which in pregnant women can see the placenta and cause subsequent fetal infection. Congenital transmission of T. gondi from an infected woman results in an overall risk of congenital toxo ranging from 20% to 50% without treatment. The later in gestation that the infection occurs, the more likely transmission is to occur. Remember that that is the same issue with CMV. Once again, the later in gestation that the infection occurs, the more likely transmission is to happen. The rate of vertical transmission increases from about 10 to 15% in the first trimester to 25% in the second trimester to more than 60% in the third trimester. The severity of fetal infection depends on gestational age at time of transmission. The earlier that the fetus is infected, the more severe the disease. Remember, that's also the same for CMV. Most infected infants do not have clinical signs of infection at birth, but as many as 90% will develop sequelae. Again, that's 90%. This can include chorioretinitis and subsequent severe visual impairment, hearing loss, or severe neurodevelopmental delay. Other clinical manifestations of congenital toxo include a rash, hepatosplenomegaly, ascites, fever, periventricular calcifications, ventriculomegaly, and even seizures. Immunoglobulin M antibodies appear soon after acute infection and reach a maximum level in about a month. Immunoglobulin G antibodies appear after IgM and are detectable within a few weeks after infection, and it does confer immunity. Now, it's important to remember that high titers of IgG and IgM may persist for years. Hey guys, when we come back, we're going to cover the way to diagnose maternal toxoplasmosis as well as get into the fetal implications of disease. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Although isolation of T. Gandhi from blood or body fluids establishes the presence of acute infection, serological testing for the detection of specific antibody to T. Gandhi is the primary method of diagnosis in the clinical setting. Serological assays for Toxo, however, are not well standardized and have high rates of false positive and false negative testing. Immunoglobulin M titers may persist for many months or years after acute infection, so that can make diagnosis tricky. Immunoglobulin G and IgM testing should be used for the initial evaluation of a pregnant woman suspected of having Toxo. A negative IgM test result and a positive IgG test result are indicative of remote infection and pose no concern for fetal transmission in the immunocompetent woman. Negative IgM and IgG indicate either the absence of infection or a very recent acute infection without enough time for seroconversion. If IgM and IgG tests are positive, the patient has had either a recent infection or a false positive result. If acute infection is a possibility, serological tests should be repeated in about two weeks to look for an increase in the IgG antibody. This is consistent with recent infection. Consideration should be given to performing initial and repeat serologies in the experienced toxoplasmosis reference lab in which specific confirmation tests like the Sabin-Feldman dye test or an indirect fluorescent antibody test are performed. Now, if maternal toxo infection has been serologically confirmed, reference laboratories can perform IgG avidity to determine when the infection may have occurred. Low avidity is indicative of primary infection within the last four or five months, which may be helpful information in prenatal diagnosis and counseling. All right, that takes care of the mom. What about the baby? Well, ultrasound can demonstrate severe congenital toxo. Suggestive features include ventriculomegaly, intracranial calcifications, microcephaly, ascites, hepatosplenomegaly, and intrauterine growth restriction. Remember, these findings are also seen in other infections like CMV. Amniocentesis should be offered to pregnant women when fetal toxo is suspected. PCR of amniotic fluid is the preferred diagnostic test given its relatively high sensitivity and specificity and its lower risk to the fetus than, for example, cordocentesis. Amnio, however, should be performed after 18 to 20 weeks to decrease the risk of a false negative test result. Well, once we have a diagnosis, what do we do with this? Well, first of all, remember that suspected maternal infection should be confirmed with an appropriate reference lab that can offer a diagnostic test because remember, routine testing for this is not real good. Specific confirmation reference lab testing is required to confirm the diagnosis. A Cochrane review of more than 3,000 publications did suggest, however, that maternal treatment does not reduce 
or prevent fetal infection, but it may reduce congenital disease severity. So that's a clinical pearl. For Toxo, maternal treatment may not reduce or prevent fetal infection, but it can make the fetal infection less severe. Now, in the presence of acute maternal infection, of course, consultation with a physician in ID or maternal fetal medicine is prudent. Pregnant women who are acutely infected with Toxo should be treated with spiromycin to reduce transplacental parasitic transfer. Remember that spiromycin is a macrolide antibiotic that concentrates in but doesn't actually cross the placenta. But here's the catch. Use of spiromycin after confirmatory testing in a reference lab confirms a diagnosis actually requires help from the FDA because this drug is actually not commercially available in the U.S. Now for fetal infection, fetal infection with Toxo should be treated with a combination of pyrimethamine, sulfa, and folic acid because this regimen more effectively eradicates parasites in the placenta and the fetus than spiromycin alone and can lessen the severity of disease in the affected fetus. Well, now that we've covered that, what do we tell patients about the prevention of toxo in pregnancy? Factors associated with acquisition of toxoplasmosis include handling material contaminated by cat feces, consuming contaminated undercooked meat, dairy, produce, or water, and working in soil without gloves. Pregnant women should be counseled on proper hand-washing techniques, pet care measures, and dietary recommendations to prevent toxo as well as many other infectious illnesses. Much attention has been given to the educational programs to reduce maternal toxoplasmosis infection and congenital toxo. Despite the successful demonstration in some observational studies, several reviews, including a meta-analysis in the Cochrane database, suggest that weakness in study design prevents the conclusion that these strategies actually effectively reduce congenital toxoplasmosis. All right, as we wrap up the podcast, remember that although ACOG and the CDC state that routine serological screening of pregnant women for Toxo is not recommended, it is important to offer prenatal screening for Toxo to women who are HIV infected or are otherwise immunosuppressed. Hey, that wraps up our quick review of toxoplasmosis, both maternal and fetal infection, during pregnancy. The information for this podcast came from the ACOG Practice Bulletin on the same subject. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.